Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and this has been a long time coming. I am sitting across from Esme Weijun Wang today, and her book, The Collected Schizophrenias, came out last year and received the Grey Wolf Nonfiction Prize. And it was just, it's one of my favorite books. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. I had been um, kind of campaigning, uh, not so secretly, <laughs> to come onto the show. Um, but I uh, I had to be here in person. Um, and so here I am. And I'm so excited. Me too. So, of course, you came in this morning and you look gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. And I love your glasses and your dress and, like, the whole look. And... Tell me about your style and why it's important in relation to uh, your illness. Yeah, so that's something that I talk a lot about in the book, um, kind of the way that appearance um, makes itself a part of the way my confidence expresses itself and how that all aligns with stigma. So something that I talk a lot about is how the schizophrenia is and particularly schizoaffective disorder, mm -hmm. which is my primary diagnosis, right. how that carries um, a certain kind of stigma that's different from, say, depression or anxiety yes. and how people um, are afraid of um, people with the schizophrenia, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and how I try to defend myself from that fear by looking particularly put together. And so um, even when I'm in the depths of psychosis, um, even when I'm doing really badly, I do try to look as put together and presentable as possible. I do realize that this is a, in some way a form of a respectability politics, mm -hmm. um, but I... I do engage in that. And, you know, aside from that, I do just like to dress up. I've, yeah, I've been a, You also yeah. have a great eye. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, you know, I used to run a fashion blog and then um, I co-ran that fashion blog with Jenny Zhang, who's a friend of mine um, from college. And I just think it's fun um, to, to dress up and it, it does increase my confidence in ways that are unrelated mm -hmm. to mental illness. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I am, imagine because I, I only know what it's like from reading your book, but the idea of control <laughs> is a big thing in, in diabetes. Like that's a, that's a real word that's mentioned all the time mm -hmm. in, in my own experience. And feeling like you have a semblance of it somehow mm -hmm. is really something to cling to. Yeah, I think when you're, you have any kind of illness, um, because so many illnesses are so unpredictable, um, any kind of control or any kind of predictability becomes something that's really treasured. One thing that I mentioned in the book that is unrelated to schizoaffective disorder is this kind of mysterious mm -hmm. physical ailment that I developed, um, a number of years uh, ago. And, you know, something that I tried to do when I was figuring out my flares and, um, you know, when I would become more sick or less sick was right. uh, I'd create these graphs and charts and I would align them to like moon phases and oh, my period yeah. and, you know, all these things. And I would try to figure out, you know, it, do I become more sick when 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 the moon is full or like, you know, closer to my period? Just because um, it does it help to have some 
idea of control um, or to think that you might be able to predict things yeah. um, when you're sick because it is so inexplicable most of the time. And um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, so much of life um, is uncontrollable, including yeah. illness. Yeah. Um, and you were so analytical and you talk about diagnosis. I mean, that's the first essay in the book is about diagnosis and how comforting it could be mm -hmm. to to have a reason for for everything yeah yeah like um something that i cling to a lot is diagnosis some people don't like diagnoses they believe that it's putting them into a box mm -hmm. but i i like the idea of diagnosis and having that label because it gives me that me the idea that other people are going through the same thing that I am, even mm -hmm. if it's not in the exact same way. I like the idea that I am not pioneering an inexplicable right. experience, you know, like there, I like the idea that there was some person back in Egypt, ancient <laughs> Egyptian times who, you know, had similar symptoms to uh, the ones that I have undergone. Although you are a pioneer in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the main things I took away from the book is that, yeah, we've been taught by pop culture and the medical establishment to to be afraid mm -hmm. of, of quote-unquote crazy people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um we're taught to be afraid of craziness for so many reasons. I think one is due to um, this idea that crazy people are violent. Um, mm -hmm. That's a really common stereotype. Uh, crazy people are unpredictable. You know, we were just talking about control right. and um, lack of control. Um, there's this idea that crazy people, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think the the idea that crazy people are violent, I think, is one that uh, we keep coming I, – I keep coming back to because um, often when, you know, there's a mass shooting or, you yeah. know, something happens in the news, I hold my breath because I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop um, in the news um, for them to say, oh, and this person was diagnosed with, you know, such and such or – this person was taking Zoloft or something right, like that, right. you know? There are levels. Um, and I don't know what percentages there are, but, like, most often it was this person was um, committing domestic violence. Yes. And didn't really – it's – it's it's not always related. Yeah, it's not always related. And, you know, there are things that are systemic that, you know, um, or this comes into play. Like uh, I've been traveling a lot and um, my friends were suggesting like, oh, you know, you should you should apply for TSA pre-check. And so I was going through the application process. And I think around the sixth question, they ask mm -hmm. whether you've ever been involuntarily hospitalized. And if you answer yes, it sends you back to the top of the questionnaire and it says, if you answer yes to question six, please reconsider applying, Ugh. which is really interesting to me um, in that they don't say, uh, you know, don't apply or whatever. They just say, reconsider. yeah, reconsider applying. And so I just have not applied for a TSA oh. pre-check. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, but they, yeah, there are these biases and things. Um, whereas 
you know, there there is no uh, question about, you know, have you ever committed domestic violence? Right. Or, you know, right. whatever, to get on a plane. Um, so. Hmm. And, and you write a lot about being involuntarily um, committed. Um, and I've read, I've been reading a lot of, I've read Susanna Cahalan's, uh, book about Nellie Bly and, um, the man who wrote the, oh gosh, I'm the Rosahan, the Rosahan. Rose yeah. And, and, and her own experiences of once they found out that she had an autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. Suddenly, everyone's demeanor changed, and she was treated with more respect and humanity. Yeah, and that is fucked up. Yeah, it's like, oh, this was organic as opposed to something that is psychiatric. Um, I find that really interesting. Um, she and I have talked about um, about these things. She's, a, I find her very, a very wonderful person. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, I, I have, you know, I've been diagnosed with complex PTSD and, you know, have mm. gone through a number of traumatic things. And yet I continue to think that I, that, that being involuntarily hospitalized three times, um, are among some of the most traumatic things that I've undergone. Um, it's, it's, I've never been incarcerated, um, or, you know, um, or sent to prison, um, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, very glad for that. Um, but I, I can't help but see or imagine the parallels between those things. Um, yes. you're, you're in a place and you have to obey certain rules and you have to behave in a certain way and, uh, you, you really lose your autonomy and you're not allowed to leave and you don't know when you can leave. And, you know, there are so many things about losing one's human autonomy that are, really scary and mm -hmm. um yeah so i i've always found being involuntarily hospitalized to be really frightening i do say in the book that i don't necessarily uh think that we should do away with it completely i think that so much of what i bring up in the book is about bringing up questions yes. and presenting them to the reader and you know saying like think about this yourself um i so yeah. you haven't solved the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think, like, what I hope is that, like, um, I never want to become that pundit that, like, NPR brings as, like, a talking head whenever a mental illness question comes up um, as mm. someone who tries to persuade the listener in one direction or another. I think I'm more the person who brings information and experiences to the reader and says, this is what happened to me. These are some things that I've um, found out. And, you know, I'd like you to make up your own mind. Yeah. If you like podcasts like the Maris Review, then you'll love Kobo audiobooks. Listening to audiobooks let you fit more reading time into your life. Even when I'm stress eating or cleaning, I love to listen to an audiobook to get me out of my own head. There are two great ways to save. You can start an audiobook subscription and get your first book free. The book is yours to keep even if you cancel. And then every month afterwards, pay just $9.99 and you can choose an audiobook from the Kobo catalog regardless of the price. 
Some audiobooks can cost upwards of $35 or $40, so a Kobo subscription is the best way to save money every single month. Or, two, you can use the code MARIS40 to get 40% off one of their select audiobooks curated by Kobo's audiobook experts. To get started, visit kobo.com slash MarisReview. Start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. Once again, that's kobo.com slash MarisReview. This podcast is brought to you by Catapult, publishers of Rough Magic by Laura Pryor Palmer. If you like your memoirs to revolve around singular experiences, Laura Pryor Palmer's Rough Magic delivers. That's what the New York Times said about Rough Magic, the extraordinary true story of one young woman's experience riding what's billed as the world's longest and toughest horse race. This book will transport you out of your house to the grasslands of Mongolia, where a 19-year-old woman is tearing through the countryside on a wild horse, plowing through illnesses, dehydration, and exhaustion, armed with only a backpack full of snacks, an extremely limited understanding of Mongolian vocabulary, and a weathered copy of Shakespeare's The Tempest, the play that inspired this memoir's title. It's one of those rare memoirs like Wild or Educated, where the writing is as incredible and unique as the story. And it's not to be missed, especially now that it's out in paperback. Rough Magic by Lara Pryor Palmer, out now from Catapult. Tell me a bit about writing fiction. Oh my gosh. Okay, so... Fiction is my first love. I'm working on fiction now. Um, I have a novel due at the end of the year to Riverhead. Um, Yay! (laughs) um, So my first book was fiction. It was a novel called um, The Border of Paradise. And uh, I, um, you know, I never thought I would write nonfiction. It wasn't something that I studied. It wasn't something that, honestly, I still don't think of myself as a nonfiction writer. Hmm. I don't even think of it as something I'm particularly good at. Um, I Well, too bad. <laughs> I'm going to say you are wrong. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's very weird. I have a lot of, um, what is it called? Imposter syndrome when it comes to nonfiction writing. And through my entire tour for the collective schizophrenia, I, I think I said it like 95% of my events, you know, I don't think I'm going to write another nonfiction book again. And then I, and then here I go signing this two book deal, um, <laughs> you know, one of which is a nonfiction book. But, um, I think what I'm going to do or how I envision my career is kind of doing both. Um, and I, I happen to be one of these people who really, um, leans on reinforcement and, uh, recognition, um, which is something that I, I don't like about myself, but, um, well, that sounds like you're a human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, with my, um, with my novel, um, I was selected, um, as one of the Granta's, uh, best of young American novelists, that, um, thing that happens once a decade. And I think that really helped in terms of, uh, in terms of thinking of myself as a fiction writer, especially because that book was rejected 41 times. Mm. And I, uh, you know, it got picked up by a very small press, um, unnamed press. And I'm so grateful to mm. them for that. But yeah, I love fiction. I love reading fiction. I love writing fiction. 
Um, I'm really excited about this book that I'm working on right now. And um, it's just the most, to me, magical thing. And it's so fun. And it's just so different from writing nonfiction. I, a part of your nonfiction book that I cling to very often is that you talk about how the fiction of Marilyn Robinson Mm -hmm. is reassuring to you, even Mm -hmm. in your worst moments. Yes. You know, you talk about this experience of going to see Lucy and kind of losing your grip Mm -hmm. and knowing in advance when or when you should not see um, Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. And yet you love fiction and you you create fictional worlds. I mean – uh, about Marilyn Robinson in, in particular, um, somebody once asked um, in kind of a casual conversation, you know, if um, instead of a president, we had a benevolent dictator, mm-hmm. who would you choose? Oh, yes. And really, um, kind of funnily, um, both my partner and I separately came up with Marilyn Robinson as our choices for a benevolent dictator. Mm. Um, and uh, in terms of her work, I think I'm really attached to her Gilead fiction yeah. in particular. And Gilead and Home are these two books that I find to be so deep and so thoughtful when it comes to thinking about um, being a human and being kind and God. Um, I'm not uh, affiliated with any church or um, organized religion, but I I do find re- organized religion really fascinating. And so, um, the thing the thing that you were referring to um, regarding Lucy and um, and things like that was um, I I was going through this phase where um, with my um, psychosis and pre psychosis I would slip into these other worlds whenever I was engaging in fiction. And um, even if I'm not psychotic, if I'm feeling particularly permeable, um, if I'm reading a book or listening to an audiobook or watching a movie, it's very easy for me to feel like I'm literally in that world. And so when I was psychotic, I was told by my psychiatrist to actually not read fiction because Mm. I was so easily sucked into these worlds and I would believe that I was actually a character from that book and I would really lose my grip on reality. And yet I was struggling so much with my brain and what was going on in my real life that I chose quite deliberately to read Marilyn Robinson Mm. and to listen to these audiobooks of Marilyn Robinson because I really didn't care and I really didn't mind if I thought that I was a part of this world because I thought it was such a nice world. Such a nice world. Yeah. And I agree with you in terms (laughs) of the God aspect. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the most generous and Mm comforting visions of of what religion can be yeah it's so so nice and then in terms of uh whether that affects how i write fiction or when i write fiction i don't know if um if my experience of writing fiction is therefore influenced or becomes any more porous than any other fiction writer's experience i mean 
I certainly um, have a very vivid um, picture of how everything is happening as I'm writing things. Um, I'll have dreams about the characters. I'll communicate with the characters um, outside of the writing process. Sure. But But that's kind of just an author thing. Exactly. I think that's just an author thing. I don't think that's a psychosis thing. I think um, I tend to kind of lose my grip on reality more when I'm engaging with other people's um, created worlds. Yeah. And I I remember reading that chapter and then walking by in the subway, a movie poster that was incredibly scary even to me. And I thought like, like the world is full of so many other people's (laughs) fictional worlds all the time, like assaulting you. Yeah. 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 I think when I was at my worst, it was, um, during that period of time that I describe in the book where um, I tried to watch Doctor Who with my partner and I ended up really confused and was asking, like, what is TV? And, like, he was explaining, like, people write these shows and then Mm. people pretend to be these characters. And we really had to start from ground zero and explain how all of that worked. And yet you're able to look back on that analytically it seems and and put create a narrative around that yeah which is um it's a weird kind of double think i i think but um i think it's because i'm not in that place right now right um but i do weirdly have a a memory of that um kind of like somebody who's watching somebody else from far away um and and i have that I have certain sensory things that really bring me back to certain periods of psychosis or certain periods of just like having lost reality. There are certain photos um, that I took that are really difficult for me to look at now Mm -hmm. just because they really bring me back to um, those really difficult times in my life. No, Um, I'm, I'm so glad you're here and that you're, able to talk so wonderfully about about literature and and uh mental illness um what takeaway would you like people to have when they've finished the collected schizophrenias yeah um i think that really depends on who a person is right Mm -hmm. and i and i've you know it's been over a year since the book came out and people write to me or they you know, come up to me at events and things. And there are different takeaways. So people with the diagnosis will, you know, the the takeaway that I I really, um, that really brings me a lot of feelings um, (laughs) is when, or when um, people say, you know, I really saw myself in this book, Mm. you know, or um, I never um, seen myself reflected in a book before. And I did here and it helped me feel less alone. And that's really wonderful. But another takeaway that I think uh, bring, that brings me joy as well is when people tell me, you know, um, I have a loved one with the diagnosis and I never quite understood them, but you were able to put words to this experience. Mm. Um, and now I, I feel like I understand them. Um, a bit more. I, I'm actually uh, something that actually happens a lot more than I thought would happen is that there are often people whose loved ones have passed away um, who had that diagnosis, and they come up to me and tell me or write to me about 
how, you know, they, they had this loved one with schizophrenia who died and they thought they would never be able to understand them. But through this book, um, feel like they were able to reach them, um, through the, through the ether. And that is very poignant to me. Um, and then there, of course, there are doctors, um, there are psychiatrists mm-hmm. and, um, mental health professionals who take away a more, um, empathic understanding yes. of the diagnosis. And yes. that also means so much to me because I think it's really easy to see people, um, with this diagnosis as, you know, someone who's possessed or like has lost their sense of self or personhood and, yeah, there's so many kinds of responses that have meant so much to me. Oh, that's so good. And I'm so glad that we are, we, we waited a year to talk about it. So <laughs> you could like catalog all of those wonderful reactions. Yeah. Um, tell me about what you've been reading or what you'd like to recommend. Yeah. So, um, I have, uh, a couple of books that I'd like to recommend. Um, one is this book that came out recently. There's been a lot of buzz around it, but Real Life by Brandon Aww. Taylor. Um, I I blurbed it, and it, I think it's one of the best debuts that I've read in the last decade. It's such, I agree. It's such a um, searing and painful and elegantly written book, and I just loved it um, so much. It's... Um, it, it feels like a book that's written by someone who has already written many books. And so <laughs> sure does. I'm so excited that, uh, that it's getting the attention that it has. Um, Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless mm. Girls by T. Kara Madden just came out in paperback. Um, T. Kara is a friend of mine now, but, um, I first read it before we were, um, really good friends. And it, you know, I, it is one of the best memoirs I've ever mm. read. Um, it is, I think for anyone who was ever a girl or queer or, you know, grew up with family secrets or liked Lisa Frank, it's just (laughs) so poignant and brings tears to my eyes and is funny. And, um, I, I just love it so much. Um, there is the book, uh, Where Reasons End by Mm -hmm. Yan Lee that just was awarded the pen, um, Gene Stein. It was at the Gene Stein award. Um, uh, a pen award. Yeah, yeah, a big <laughs> a big pen, pen award. award. Yeah. And uh I'm so glad it won because it is a work of genius. I've been recommending it uh ever since it came out. Ian Lee, I think it's just mm-hmm. I mean, she won a MacArthur. She is a genius. <laughs> she, validation that you <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. Um but it it's such a painful book. Um I mean yeah. it's but it's not as dark as you might think it would be. It's, there's something very beautiful about it. Um, it's, it's really, um, wonderful. It's about, uh, it's about these conversations between a mother and her son who has died of suicide. And, um, I, I just think it's written in a way that I, I just could not imagine ever writing a book like that. And finally, um, I wanted to recommend a book that was written not in or published not in the last year or two. <laughs> um, and that is a book that I wish more people had read, which is Demon Camp by Jen Percy. I loved that. Yeah, book. it's so good. I just, I, I refer to this book in The Collective Schizophrenias and I, I, I think it should have gotten more attention. It's, um, so elegantly written. Jen Percy, uh, got her, um, degrees in both fiction and nonfiction at Iowa. And I think you can really tell um, through this book because her prose is so beautiful. She's also just so good at 
writing and investigating and it's about PTSD, but also about these people who believe that they've brought demons back from, uh, from war. And, um, I think it's some of the best journalism uh, written in this incredibly captivating way. So yeah, those are some books that I've loved. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.